Hello there. Welcome back to the A Disease of Junior Golf podcast. I'm joined today by my co-host Ryan Burr. And for all you new listeners out there, my name is Aaron Zane. I'm 16 years old and I train at the Sean Foley Performance Academy. Uh, Aaron, the reason we do this podcast is to welcome all the, the junior golf families into our home, into our community. And this was your idea to do this podcast. Why Put yourself out there, do a podcast for all these junior golfer families. I mean, through my experiences, I've been through all the highs and lows. You know, I've been through, you know, I've, I've played great sometimes and I've also had stretches where I've had slumps and I just wanted to talk and relate to the audience about it. And, and that's the beautiful thing. When you look at what Aaron Zhang was able to do as a young player, I'll speak for you. Yeah. <laughs> you were one of the great winners in this country as a young player. And then you hit some adversity. Tell us what happened. Well, I mean, I grew <laughs> from uh, 15 to 16 years old. I grew 15 inches, which is wow. not not easy at all. But um, it took some time to have to adjust to that new body, having to swing with the new adjustments. And it took some time for sure. We hear about that a lot. The ball's in a completely different spot. He grew 15 inches in just 15 months. And with that, Aaron, unfortunately, it came a slump as, as you tried to, to figure out your new body. But now you're out on the other side, a winner again, uh, on your way to great, great things. When you look back at your biggest accomplishment through the highs and lows in your young career, you're only 16 years old. When you look back at that one thing you've been able to do, what is it? I think it's to overcome the growth spurt. I mean, I just had a lot of adversity having to, you know, understand that I was in a bad phase and I wasn't shooting the scores I wanted to, but you know, I finally came out of it and I've been shooting good scores again. And we certainly think that, that you at home will be able to relate to everything that, that Aaron's done, whether it's winning, whether it's unfortunately we all go through slumps or whether it's coming back out on the other side. And I know Aaron and myself is we talk to every week we, we either have a, a PGA tour winner or a major champion winner or one of the great coaches in the game. Uh, we want them to help the junior golfer as well and, and let their experience help your young player make it to the next level. And how about our first guest tonight? Yeah, our first guest tonight has coached the best players in the world. He used to coach Tiger Woods, and right now he's coaching Bryson DeChambeau. So, I mean, his name is Chris Como, and he's just a wealth of knowledge. So, Chris, you started golf at a later age. What drew you to golf, and when did you decide that you wanted to make a career out of it? Um, that's a good question. So I, I, I'm a first generation golfer. So no one in my family played golf. Um, I didn't take up golf till I was around 16 or so. So I guess in a sense, relatively started the game relatively late in life, you know, I, I, to try to play competitively at least. And, um, a friend of mine's uncle took me golfing at like a little par three course and just like right away just became enamored with the game. Um, why golf? You know, I, I think that's, so many different directions with that one um i love the fact that I, I love team sports but i also love the fact that i could go i could work on it as much as i want to i could get lost in the game and it really wasn't kind of reliant time-wise and other people wanted to, to play with me type of thing right so there, there's that aspect of having sort of that that autonomy with it um to just be able to just spend however much time i want on it i loved how there there was sort of this almost this intellectual aspect of it. There is this kind of like um, this, just an incredible discovery component to it. Like it seemed like this endless kind of like playground to figure things out with, you know, different shots, um, how to hit, you know, around the green, 
Um, and just also kind of the mystery of, of what really makes people good at the game was sort of captivating to me. Um, I remember growing up and hearing stories of like Nick Faldo and how he changed his golf swing. And through that, that, that action of changing his golf swing became one of the best players in the world, um, one of the best players of all time. So I, that, that whole process of, of, from a technical perspective, being able to kind of um, make tweaks and then having the whole sort of his whole skill set ramp up because of that was, was super interesting to me. So, I mean, there's, then you get into the whole psychology of it, kind of like the, the cliche of how it's a microcosm of life, the idea of integrity in the game, how like, like no one's watching, you have no ref really calling a penalty on yourself, but that's up to, to you to do that. Um, there were just so many different things, both from like the technical, but also the emotional kind of psychological side of it um, that really just appealed to me. Chris, when you meet a junior golfer with a, let's say, unique swing, let's say like a Matthew Wolf or a Jim Furyk, um, do you think about changing these swings or if they're effective, do you just kind of sit back and let them do their thing? So, so the only objective measure of a good golf swing is, is what the ball does. So a guy like Jim Furyk or Matt Wolf, the ball is doing incredible things. So if you were to watch their ball flight, the speed they create, the control they have of the ball, it's unbelievable. Therefore, their golf swing is unbelievable. So this is where if a junior came and he has a, a swing that people would say looks a little different, but he is hitting it awesome, keep doing that. You're, you're creating the result that we want. But now what happens if someone's not getting the result that they want? That's when, as a coach, you are making the judgment call of what direction to take them with their swing. Now, when you say, does it matter how it looks? Well, to me, what's going to create the results you want is less about maybe you know, traditional aesthetics. I'm never going after that. There's a certain functionality that I'm going after. And are there maybe looks associated with that? I mean, I don't know. Sure. But it's, it's much closer to impact. It's not like the position at the top. It's not things like, oh, the face has to be exactly here or the plane has to be exactly there. Because a guy like Jim Furyk and Matt Wolf have proven that, that that doesn't have to be the case, right? So if a junior golfer is trying to get better and they're, they're shot, the shots they're hitting aren't at the level they want to hit, then yes, you need to do things to make that better. And that may involve making some changes in your golf swing. But again, it's not chasing a particular aesthetic. But if a golfer, regardless of how air quotes different it looks, hits the shots that the best players in the world are hitting, like Matt Wolf does or Jim Furyk does, then that's, that's what you're going after. So why would you change that? And in that scenario, you would find other ways to get them better. It would be how do you clean up your short game? How do you putt better? Whatever, it's course management, things like that. And those type of things to get better, you're always doing regardless. Even if you're making swing changes, they're still – low-hanging fruit with just a, how a person plays the game, how good is their short game, how good is their putting, things like that. Yeah, Chris, it's well known that there are infinite ways to swing a golf club. There isn't one set swing that's perfect for everybody. Does the same concept apply to chipping and putting? I, I mean, a good guy like uh, Billy Mayfair, like his putting stroke looked all over the place and, and, and putted it great, right? So there's definitely so many different ways um, to stroke a putt. And, and even with chipping, there's a lot of different like subtleties to it. Now, the thing is, when you say there's infinite ways to swing a golf club, if you were to start to look at golf swings of the best players in the world three inches before impact and into impact, it starts to converge. They don't look that different. Right. Okay. So, so now a chipping shot, a ship shot, ship shot is getting closer to that. So you typically won't see a great chipper 
go all over the place and kind of because you're sort of running out of time. So in, in, in short game shots, it starts to converge a little bit more. Now, there's absolutely different styles. People have different grips. The face works a little bit different. But as the shorter the, shorter the shot gets, and I'm kind of excluding putting because putting is a little bit of a different animal, it does start to converge a little bit more typically. Um, okay. But, 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 but as a general statement, yes, it, there is a lot of different ways to do it. And again, it goes back to that, that whole thing that I was saying before. If you're getting the results you want, like, okay, no worries. Like, keep doing that. If you're not, don't be afraid to experiment a little bit and possibly make tweaks to your technique. So to me, it's always relative to like, am I getting the outcome I want? Yes. You know, carry on. No. Okay, you know, time to sort of reevaluate and see what you can do to maybe get that, get that better. Chris, as we know, even the best players in the world have off days. You, you've coached Tiger, you've coached Bryson, but how about when they come to you for a lesson? Is there times when they show up when things are just off? They aren't as they were when the last time they left you? Absolutely. I mean, even with the best players in the world. I mean, I would say in general, the better players, they kind of, they've sort of been in the space of their swing for a long time that there's probably a, a little bit less, or it's at least less obvious, but they absolutely have things that are changing, whether it be in their setup or, or, or slightly different things going on with their grip. I mean, there's always little things that are changing. Um, you know, maybe they played a week where it was really windy and because they're hitting a lot of knockdowns, their setup slightly tweaked and then they get into a different environment and it's like that still carried over um, from that previous week of playing in the wind. So, like you, you'd be amazed at how much sort of day to day—not really day to day—but there's definitely fluctuations uh, week to week with these guys. Chris, whether it's junior golfers or professionals, how do you help them deal with adversity on the course? I mean, that's that's a lifelong journey, right? Because you know we always are making these predictions of like things that we want to have happen in our life or what we expect, and and it doesn't always pan out that way. And there's an element of sort of like you know trust that things are going to be okay regardless of what's happening and, and, and sort of coming from a place of, of dealing with, you know, curveballs in life or adversity or however you want to put it out of like your own sort of like inner principle. Right. So I think that's, you know, that's, that's, that's more about developing the person than it is about like some quick tip type of thing. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to say, Oh, this guy's got confidence if he's always playing good and you know, he really doesn't have much adversity or she doesn't have much adversity. So it's like, okay, well, like you, you, you rarely hit a missed shot. Maybe that's because of like just how physically the skill set is really good. So you're in a sense not really having to deal with adversity as much or, or, or because you've hit so many good shots, you sort of expect the next one to be good, right? So it's a little bit of like, eh, it's hard to compare that. But what if someone's really sort of struggling with the game and they've tried things and it's just not really working out the way they had hoped? It becomes harder to be resilient in a situation like that. If the adverse, the, the, the sort of resiliency to adversity is coming from sort of like external things. So this is where, you know, for the kids that I work with or people in general, it's like, look, you know, if you really want to tap into this sort of philosophy of adversity and resiliency, it, it's got to be out of principle. It can't be this sort of like external thing that you're kind of chasing all the time. Um, and again, that's its own personal development thing. That's, that's sort of a, a, a lifelong quest, I would say. Chris, I'm sure one thing that much of many of our listeners and watchers, including myself, are really curious about is how does Bryson gain so much speed and how realistic is it for junior golfers to imitate what Bryson is doing right now? Realistic. I mean, I, th I think really it's realistic for, for recreational golfers, junior golfers, anybody. Like there probably should be a little bit of time that you allocate to your training, to your development 
towards building speed. Because a lot of it is, you know, with Bryson, it's been this, this, this combination of working out, changing the body a little bit, changing some technique things that relate to speed, and then doing stuff that, you know, we would call like you know, your nervous system, kind of like making your nervous system more um, accustomed to going fast. The analogy would be, you know, sprinters, I think they sometimes train by running down a hill. Um, and it's like their brain has to say like, oh, wow, I'm not comfortable going at the speed, but I'm going to adjust a little bit. So there's an element of kind of getting outside of your own comfort zone with how fast you swing a golf club. And I think, you know, fitness is obviously something that has really kind of taken over in golf for the last, whatever, 15 years. Tiger was very much a pioneer in that regard. Um, the swing stuff, I think this is where, you know, it's working with a coach saying, Hey, look, yes, I want to control the golf, the ball, but I also want to develop a swing that, that, you know, in theory should be powerful. And then I also think there's that, that little bit of a bucket of allocating time towards just trying to be faster. And that's something that I think every golfer could benefit from as long as you're, you know, you're trying to do it safely. But this is where I think these things fit together, where if you're training properly with someone in the gym that's going to make you all being equal inclined to be safer when you're doing things like trying to create more speed or just in general, hitting a lot of golf balls. The, the stuff you do in the gym, the way you take care of your body should make your body more resilient towards the, the sort of the wear and tear that just happens with, with all athletics in a sense. Chris, he's gained so much weight. Is that have anything to do with why he's hitting it so much further? The weight gain it's that he's gotten stronger and he's gotten, uh, you know, in a sense more explosive. Um, or, or more powerful, you could say. Um, but it's really, it's really the strength. It just happens to be in the process of getting stronger. He put on some weight. So it's not actually the weight gain. Um, there's a little bit of a misnomer out there that the size of the golfer uh, somehow contributes to the ball speed or the, the transfer of energy of the club into the ball. It, it, that's not the way the physics of it work out. If the club head speed is going 150 miles an hour and the golfer weighs 200 pounds, 150 pounds, 500 pounds, it doesn't have any effect on what that ball speed is going to be. Interesting. It's just, it's just the club at speed is, is what matters. Chris, what can a junior golfer like myself do to gain more speed and become more explosive? I would say just, just again, spend a little bit of time just trying to swing it fast. I mean, this is the simplest thing. Just, just get outside your comfort zone a little bit. Have fun with it. Try to, try to spend, you know, 10 minutes in every practice session just really kind of, you know, smashing it. Um, don't give too much concern to where the ball is going. And during those windows, you know, give it, tell yourself I'm in a safe space in terms of where the ball is going. I'm not worried about hitting a shot out of bounds. I'm not worried about missing a fairway. All I'm trying to do is get my club head speed up. Maybe use like a little radar thing or some sort of device that can give you good feedback on it. But again, the goal is just to say, I'm going to try and go as fast as I can. And I'm not concerned with, with, with controlling the ball during that defined kind of window of practice that's that's dedicated to that all right chris you're not in a teaching studio you're not in a gym let's give us a little tour here what in the world do you have going on in your house yeah so this was during the whole covid thing i was at the players with bryson and emiliano grillo and they canceled the players championship and it became apparent that we were going to go into some form of a lockdown and I was living in an apartment in Dallas and, you know, I didn't, I, I'm, not, I'm not good at sitting still for any extended period of time. So I, I went, got back home after the players, gave the apartment my notice to vacate, called a realtor up and I said, find me a place with some really tall ceilings. So I had this idea kind of uh, incubating in my mind for a bit of creating like a sports biomechanics lab. Um, and it's like, well, 
since, since they may not let us go anywhere for a while, I might as well do it in a place they can't keep me out of, which would be my living room. So I, so we, we got this house and I got the, those are 3d motion cameras. Those are the cameras wow. where when you put the, like the markers on your body to create yep. a three dimensional model. So that's what those do. Um, we have, you know, that set where you, we, we do all that. And then these down here are force plates. So that's where you stand on and measures the three dimensional forces you're putting into the ground and the torque you put in the ground. And then we got a basketball hoop up, which is my favorite thing in the room and then a little weight set. And, you know, we'll keep kind of like adding to it, but it's, it's been a lot of fun. Bryson did a lot of his training here. Uh, Jason Day's been in here. Emiliano Grillo has been here. So we had Seth Curry shoot a shot, um, play for the Mavs. Jamie Ben hit a slap shot with all, on the force plates with all the 3d motion. So we've had a couple of different, um, athletes from, from other sports coming here as well. So it's been well, a lot of fun. Well, thanks for the tour, Chris, and thanks for coming <laughs> on the A to Z Junior Golf Podcast. Uh, incredible having you on the show today. I just feel smarter having Chris Como on our podcast today. Thanks so much. We'll be in touch. Well, that was a that was a a great interview to kind of look be- behind the the curtain, if you will, of what Chris Como is doing to to allow and make his players better from Bryson hitting it further and and that it's not the weight, it's just the muscle and that the weight is just part of it to, you know what, if you're hitting the ball great, Aaron, don't change anything. It doesn't matter if it looks perfect. What did you take from that interview that that you're going to take with you to the range tomorrow, just feeling a little bit better about your game? Yeah, I mean, Chris is just such a knowledgeable and intelligent guy. And he just, I mean, he talks very similar to Bryson. Doesn't look very similar, but <laughs> talks very similar. Uh, he just got... Yeah, he has a lot of information on his mind. And you know, one thing I can definitely take away is how he talked about all the unique swings and not trying to make it look perfect and just understanding that how the ball is performing is what you really need to look at. So And kind of a Bryson DeChambeau theme on the show tonight. Yeah. We just heard from Bryson's coach and next someone that works with Bryson. Yeah, next uh our next guest is actually working with Neuropeak Pro, which is what Bryson uses to train his breathing, to train his neurofeedback, and Bryson has credited it a lot. So for our next guest, we welcome in Director of Golf at Neuropeak Pro, Andy Matthews. Andy, thank you for coming on to the podcast today. Uh, my first question to you is, you know, first off, just introduce yourself, please, and tell us why you joined Neuropeak Pro and what it really offers to us. Absolutely. Aaron, Ryan, thanks for having me on tonight. You know, um, my title, as, as Ryan, you mentioned, Director of Golf Performance. Uh, I've been with the company for about three years, but I've been a client of Neuropeak Pro for almost 12. Um, I played my college golf at the University of Michigan, turned pro right after graduation, spent most of my professional career playing up on what's now the McKenzie Tour. It was the PGA Tour Canada before that. But um, like I said, was was a client in Neuropeak Pro, and fortunately, as as fate would have it, uh, was able to join the team about three years ago. Actually, started working with some of our NFL franchises, but then as our our work in golf started to become a little bit more known, uh, most notably through uh, our work with Bryson DeChambeau, um, it uh, it led me into the golf division, where I like to say there's no place I'm more comfortable. Yeah, it sounds like a perfect fit. We just had Bryson's uh, swing coach on, Chris Como. So uh, interesting that you both have experiences with, with Bryson. Uh, tell us a little bit about how Neuropeak Pro 
uh, takes a golfer and tries to optimize their ability to play on the golf course? Certainly, you know, we, we all have those unique things that, that make us and help us be really good at, at what we do. Obviously, we're talking in, in the context of, of golf and, and maybe even specifically our, our work with Bryson, but there, there are certain brain patterns that allow us to perform at our best. And I think those of us that have competed can, can share in that what it's like to stand on the first tee, to feel those first tee jitters. Uh, to feel what it's like coming down the stretch to perhaps win a golf tournament or, or grinding out to make a cut. All of those things that we're feeling are, are built in us. They're in our DNA. And there's things that we can do to help optimize those responses. Um, you know, when we, when we get nervous, our, our breathing gets fast and shallow. Um, our palms might start sweating. We feel those butterflies in our, in our stomach. Um, but like I said, they're all, they're all part of our DNA and they're all a part of who we are and make us what we do on the golf course. But the cool thing is what we experience maybe today on the golf course doesn't necessarily have to be what we experience tomorrow. And there's certain things that we can do from both a breathing and a brain standpoint to really help optimize, optimize what that is. And it all starts with an evaluation, just like Aaron working with his, his swing coaches, at the Performance Academy, you know, we're using different tools, whether it be be video or TrackMan or FlightScope or whichever launch monitor is is your your preferred device. They all give us enhanced feedback on what we're doing. We're taking that same approach to the brain and the autonomic nervous system. Andy, um, you know, I've I'm a junior golfer myself, and I've seen in many junior tournaments that. You know, golfers start to tense up, you know, their breathing becomes fast and they just start to lose their tempo. Is there one like simple breathing exercise you would recommend for them to do? Absolutely. And, you know, Aaron, one of the things that we see, whether it's our PGA Tour clients that that we work with, we're working with about 23 or 24 players on tour right now. Um, Everybody breathes too fast. And we see that happen around you know, 15 breaths a minute, maybe even sometimes faster. And one of the first things that we always do when we start working with a client is give them some feedback, but give them some tools to start slowing that breath down. And NeuroPeak Pro Breathing 101 is to take a hand and put it on your stomach, put it right over your belly button, and start to inhale and kind of move that out to about the count of four. You hold it just over the top for for about a second and then you exhale to the count of four. And and that 4-1-4-1 cadence results in about a breath rate of six per minute. So a lot of our clients come in breathing at 15 or faster and we start slowing that down. And the reason that we slow that down is because that's where the heart and the lungs find their optimum frequency, their resonance frequency, that allows us to feel those calm, creative kind of feelings that that we do when we're in a much more relaxed state. The app uh, MindLift, that certainly some of the junior golfers and their parents that are watching and listening to our podcast is available to them. Uh, Why would it be a good idea for them to, to download the app and how can they use it? 
Certainly. So MindLift is, is one of the, the pieces of technology that we use in our suite of, of products to help individuals understand and optimize their performance. So MindLift is, um, is the NeuroPeak Pro app that we use to help measure brainwave activity. And when we pair that up with some technology, we actually use EEG technology. It's an electroencephalogram that allows us to take a look at your brain and see how it's firing. You know, there's certain areas of the brain that may be overworking, certain areas that may be underworking that we need to wake up. And we can use that technology to be able to identify where those areas are, but also what we can, what we can do about it. So rather than jumping right to, right to mind lift, um, there's a ton of information about how we stack these different training protocols on top of each other to help individuals reach their, reach their goals and, and performance goals. And a lot of, you can do that by heading to neuropeakpro.com. That's probably the best place to start because you'll run into a dead end if you go and download that app. Yeah, you and your team, Andy, have worked with so many of the top athletes in the world, one of them being Bryson DeChambeau. And he recently credited MindLift, which is the app that you guys use for your neurofeedback training. Uh, he credited MindLift for helping him relax his frontal lobe, which was overactive during times like the Masters, where he felt dizzy or felt like his brain was going really fast. Um, how exactly has MindLift really helped him calm down his frontal lobe and perform better? Neurofeedback in general, and, and specifically the, the frontal lobe, that's where a lot of our emotional control, our executive functioning, our decision-making, organization, those types of things are, are, are in the frontal lobe. And when it's out of balance, you know, you're going to, everybody's different, but you're going to experience some, some, some things that aren't optimal one for playing the game of golf, but just say, say life in general. And so using the technology that we have available to us, actually, Nick, our, our vice president of performance programs was, was in Dallas with, with Bryson just this week to do, to do some work. And what we're, what we're able to do is, is not only identify that, hey, there are some things to, to work on. There's no doubt Bryson pushes the envelope further and harder than, than maybe anybody in the, in the game, especially that, you know, that we can, we can see. But that technology is such that we're able to then reward the brain when it's doing what we need it to do. So in a case where that frontal lobe may be overworking, over-processing through neurofeedback training, we're able to, to give it feedback when it starts to quiet itself down. Through that app specifically, that feedback mechanism is a video. It's actually a YouTube video. You can, well, actually, you can watch whatever you want on YouTube. And what happens is when your brain's within those thresholds that, that we've set for it, the video plays without interruption. And if you start to over, over process a little bit, that brain sensing headset's gonna read that and it's gonna give you a little bit of negative feedback. And what happens with that app is the screen goes dark and the volume can go down. And the brain takes that as a little bit of a no. And over time, the brain being the best pattern recognition device that there is says, hey, I don't necessarily know where I'm, why I'm going here, but every time I go there, I get this little bit of negative feedback. I lose my reward. 
And so I'm not going to go there again. So at the same point that that feedback happens over and over and the brain learns, just like we we learn as as children growing up, operant conditioning, we give it the reward when it's doing what we want it to. We take that reward away when it's not. And over time, our typical programs are about 90 days. Um, we start to see some really meaningful changes in how the brain is operating. And Andy, uh, for our viewers and listeners, uh, neuropeakpro.com, is that the easiest way to find out more information? Absolutely, Ryan. Neuropeakpro.com. You could also Google Bryson Brain Training, and, and that'll lead, lead you there as well. All right, Andy Matthews, thanks so much for joining us on the A to Z of Junior Golf Podcast. Uh, can't wait to start. Can't wait to start trying some of these techniques myself, and uh, we appreciate having you on today. Absolutely, gentlemen. Thank you. Have a great night. Wow, that was an amazing interview with Andy Matthews. Uh, he's a very knowledgeable person, and yeah, I really believe in what NeuroPeak Pro is doing. Um, you know, they train the mind for neurofeedback, and they also train the body, like for, of all these top athletes in the world, to breathe better and control their breathing. So I think that's really important because breathing is so underappreciated and I feel like it's undervalued. Well, I, I find it interesting from your standpoint because you've used it. And if we're going to yeah. be honest, uh, we've seen a dramatic movement, Aaron, in your play. You're now playing some of the best golf of your life at the highest level. And I know in these spots, uh, Florida Junior Tour, you're walking down the final fairway with the lead. That's tough to close down. Yeah, you, for sure. did you, you went to this, these methods to help you that day? Well, one thing that Europeak Pro offers is just everyday breathing. They have this app and you have a sensor, just put it on your finger and it's something called morning readiness where you just measure your HRV levels and you know, you start breathing four seconds in, you hold a second, then you breathe out for four seconds. And you know, while I don't like readily feel the effects of it, I definitely think it's been beneficial, especially in stressful times going down the stretch of a tournament. Um, I definitely think the breathing from NeuroPeak Pro has helped a lot. Yeah, well, great interview for sure. Great guest. Our next guest, uh, you will know him from the junior golf world because he is the man in junior yeah. golf. Ryan Frazier from Agora Golf. You really know him as the voice of reason in junior golf. This is a guy that really uh, travels to all the big events and ultimately is one of the few people that is out there covering the great game of junior golf. Ryan, thanks so much for joining Aaron and I tonight. Let's start with this. How did you end up in junior golf and making this your livelihood? Uh, it's kind of a long story. I'll try to make it as short as I can. Um, I, I have no background playing golf. I'm just, you know, weekend hacker, software developer, living in Denver, Colorado. 2011 comes around. Um, my alma mater, the University of Georgia, is playing the regional out there in Colorado, and I meet the coaches. I meet players like Harris English and Russell Henley and Hudson Swafford, um, and they were really nice to me. So I kind of became a super fan of, of, of my golf program, my school's golf program, um, over the next couple of years. And then just talking with the coaches during a rain delay and at the uh, Stadium Classic, a web.com event in Athens, um, we were just kind of talking about about stuff and they kind of planted the idea of me of kind of doing what the way rivals and 24 seven sports, how they cover college football and basketball, you know, something like that with golf. So that was my, my first dream, I think to go with, with my website seven years later, eight years later here, I'm still not 
there. <laughs> uh, I've kind of taken some detours and, and stuff like that, but I, you know, I'm finding my own little niche and I've learned a ton over the last eight years. I've enjoyed the process. It's been great. I've gone to a ton of co- you know junior events, college events, getting to meet the players, see kids, you know, like Matthew Wolf, the second tournament or third tournament I ever went to. And now he's on tour winning. Um, it's just been really cool. It's been a great experience. Ryan, what are some of the bigger junior golf events coming up in the next month? Uh, February is going to be a pretty busy month. Um, the It's a junior Ryder cup year. So uh, here in a cup next weekend or two weekends, I guess from now is uh, down at, um, is it Hilton Hub, the junior heritage? Uh, that's, that's a good, it's a two day, it's only a two day event, uh, but it's, it's junior Ryder cup points. Uh, so you'll see a good field there on both the guys and the girls side. Um, that's a big event. Um, the guys have the CV and I, or, or simplify, I'm sorry, the AJGA's simplifying Houston in a mid February, um, which is always a great event. The people at Carlton Woods throw on a tremendous event. Um, I don't know with COVID restrictions, I'm sure some of that will be cut back a little this year, but the golf will be great. Um, and then, uh, heading a little bit into March, you know, you, I think at the beginning of March now you've got, uh, what is coming up? Oh, the, the DJ, DJ World, uh, there at Myrtle Beach. That's a great one. A few weeks later, Sage Valley, they introduced girls this year. So that's, that's kind of mid-March. Yeah, so those indeed. are probably the four big events. A busy schedule for sure, Ryan. Uh, tell all of our viewers and listeners uh, how they can follow you, where they can follow you. you you're going to 40 plus of the uh, junior golf events each and every year. Uh, we see you everywhere, all over the country. How can folks follow your stuff? Uh, I mainly, I, I mainly just tweet. Um, I do have an Instagram account, and this year might be the year I finally start using that more. Both of them, Twitter and Instagram, it's at Agora Golf, A G O R G O L F, um, and I tweet mainly all about golf and then some complaints about traveling. All right, Ryan Frazier, thanks so much for being on the A to Z of Junior Golf Podcast. We really appreciate it. And you're going to be a uh, an, an often contributor here on the podcast, always keeping us up to date on what the next biggest event is on the junior golf circuit. So, Ryan, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Ryan. Well, thanks so much to Ryan Frazier. Boy, is he a wealth of knowledge yeah, of junior sure golf. I know a couple of times in, in your career, you look around and, and there he is. He's, yeah. he's walking on the grounds, just uh, learning more and, and writing for the college coaches. Yeah, he's telling a great them guy. What's on the he's street. really passionate about what he's doing and I really respect that. Yeah, no doubt about it. So we will see more of Ryan Frazier on the A to Z of Junior Golf podcast coming to an outlet near you. For Aaron Zhang, as always, I'm Ryan Burr. Thanks for watching and listening. And we'll see you next time on the A to Z of Junior Golf Podcast.